Welcome to episode three of our new Pearson podcast, Speaking Your Language. I'm Fiona Price, and I'm delighted to share my conversation with the wonderful Rosie Goldsmith. Rosie is the perfect ambassador for the importance of language learning. She has been a passionate linguist her whole life, a journey which began at the tender age of six weeks when she went with her parents to live abroad in South Africa. She has had a hugely successful career as a journalist and champion of the arts, particularly literature and translation. I loved hearing about how speaking other languages facilitated her route into writing and journalism and shaped her early career. So pour yourself a glass of something nice, sit back, relax and enjoy. Rosie is an award-winning journalist specialising in arts and foreign affairs. She speaks French, German and Italian. A BBC staff broadcaster for 20 years, she has travelled the world and presented several flagship programmes. She has interviewed many leading cultural and literary figures and now combines journalism with chairing, judging and curating arts events in the UK and across the world. She presented the literary podcast, The Words, and created the online and print magazine, The Riveter. In 2010, Rosie founded and became director of the European Literature Network. Rosie has lived and worked in many different countries, but is very proudly from Cornwall, or Kerno. It seems remiss not to say the Cornish translation. Known as a champion of international literature, translation and language learning, Rosie is the perfect guest for this podcast. Welcome, Rosie. It's lovely to see you. That's great to see you as well. But also, just to apologise, I don't speak Cornish. That's one language I don't, <laughs> I never learned. Well, there's only so much time in the world. There are so many languages to learn. And I don't speak um, Gaelic and I'm Scottish and I know the odd phrase. But again, you know, it's one of those things. I've given my children Gaelic names, but have never managed to master the language. <laughs> so my first question, Rosie, is who or what inspired your love of languages? Well, I would love to say there was an amazing teacher once upon a time and and all that. But in fact, it was travel. Um, travel inspired me to learn languages because I traveled from a very young age. I was six weeks old when we made our first trip. Um, my mum and dad took me to in the back of the car. I was six weeks old as I say, and we, we drove um, to the port and we got on a, um, a boat and we went to South Africa. So um, I, I lived abroad for in my early, um, early years, five, five years in South Africa and Zimbabwe. And then later on, we traveled every summer holiday from school. We traveled all the way around Europe in our car and the numbers of children increased as well. And, um, and yeah, so I really just got to hear languages from a very early age. And I got to realize that if I wanted to, genuinely participate in these cultures then I would have to speak the language um, and I also have a very good ear so I was very musical I am very musical and I really do think that helped as well so it was like hearing music everywhere I went really it was it was um, a fantastic way of thinking of languages too for me as, as sounds. And you're right about the total immersion because you can never fully embrace a culture I don't think unless you learn the language because it opens so many different avenues of understanding doesn't it absolutely I I mean it's hard to emphasize enough how 
important it is. You can learn languages, obviously, by reading books and sitting in a classroom in school and having excellent teachers. And I did have, you know, my teachers weren't bad, but they weren't great. And they weren't very inspirational. And that is a sadness to me because I think teachers do have a great role to play. And the, the best teachers I found were always when I was abroad. I'd always meet somebody inspirational who taught at some school or colleagues who were also teaching. And I thought that's how teachers should be um, because they do have a load, a burden to bear, if you know what I mean, as far as language learning goes, because they're the ones who have to get us right at the beginning and you know help us on our way. But there are lots of other ways of um, incorporating languages into your lives. Uh, and one of them is travel, of course. So, definitely. And a massive responsibility of teachers, I think, is to bring, you know, the culture into the classroom. And I think that has improved. I mean, I found over my many years of teaching that, you know, everything is at the click of a button now. But I've always talked to them about my experiences of traveling and living abroad, because I totally agree. I think that's the way you get them. That's the hook. This is what it's for. This is what why we're doing this. You've really got to inspire. And it doesn't matter if there are students who may have the opportunity or not but it's the onus is on you to just provide them with that little idea that it's that it's out there and on that subject I'm sure you have got many many memories of living in all these wonderful places is is there maybe a, a standout or a best memory that you have of visiting or living in another country and I suppose the other part of that are, are the challenges because we'll we will both know this that it's not always easy living in another country well I mean, South Africa and Zimbabwe were different. That's where I grew up. Um, and obviously I heard many languages there too. And it, that definitely gave me a feel for travel, as I say. But then I went on to live um, in Germany for quite a substantial time. And I learned German pretty fluently. I, I would call it my second language. Um, I lived in France as well. And um, I live in Italy um, when I can. Um, we travel to Italy as much as we can, although, of course, everything's been hampered by the pandemic. Um, and I lived in the USA for a couple of years. And these are all multilingual countries. So whenever you're in a country, you're exposed to another whole concentric circle of other languages. So it's, it's, it's a completely natural way of living for me. I find it very strange to be, and currently we live in the countryside and nobody else speaks languages. And my husband does, thank goodness. <laughs> but, <laughs> and we occasionally watch things on television in other languages, which is a, a joy. But I do miss that whole um, intermingling, you mm. know, just, just hearing languages on the street whenever you walk through London. You know, you can hear 10, 20 languages just walking down one street. So I think that... Yes, there are challenges living in other countries, but um, the advantages thoroughly outweigh the disadvantages. And probably the most formative country for me was Germany, because that is where I really dug deep with a language and um, learned all kinds of um, political terminology and so on, which I mean, you know, I had my formative years in Germany really um, so when I came back to live in Britain after studying in Germany and so on I, can't, I couldn't even understand certain words in English because I only knew them in German you know um, so it was quite that was quite funny I realized at a certain point my favorite language in spite of all the others is English so I needed to come back to the UK 
and embed myself here in English in order to go out and enjoy all the other languages. I wanted to be able to always write in English um, above all other languages. So that was I, I had a similar experience with, with German. German was kind of my first love at school. You know, I was obsessed and I spent my university summers working in um, a, ho a German hotel in Switzerland. And I had one of those eureka moments when I was in the shower looking for my shampoo. And I thought in German, where's my shampoo? Oh, there it is. And it was just unbelievable because I'd heard these rumors, you know, that when you start to dream and think in another language, that's when you're getting fluent. And, you know, I was very young, you know, maybe 18, 19. And for me, that was the kind of turning point. And there's been other languages since then, but that was the, the hook for me. Um, and, and when you were younger, did you did you always want to be a journalist or how did that process evolve over time? I always wanted to be a writer and in the arts somehow, always, because I wrote from a very young age. Um, I won the Jack and Orif story competition <laughs> when I was 11 um, and with, with others. And we went up to London and we were on television and that was great. And I always did a lot of art and I was always very engaged with the languages. So for me, becoming a journalist, it did grow, but I grew to admire other journalists very much indeed. Uh, but, you know, particularly foreign correspondents. And I loved the BBC. And whenever I was abroad um, and I lived in the United States also for quite a long time, I would ask my mum to send me cassettes of BBC Radio 4, so cassettes, so I could still listen. That was way before everything was on the internet. And uh, and so, I, yeah, I just, I, I, I tried to learn how to become a journalist, even though I was studying languages and, you know, and not studying journalism. And in the end, um, I was very, very lucky because I came back to live in London after having studied and it was 1989. And in 1989, as we all know, the Berlin Wall um, came tumbling down and all the countries around, all over Eastern Europe and Western Europe, they, every, every country was of course involved with that. And the BBC needed to recruit journalists who were also linguists. I mean, many more. This is not just the World Service, this is um, domestic radio as well. So I got a job pretty quickly um, with BBC Radio 4 and as a linguist and as a trainee journalist. So I learned on the job and I absolutely loved it. There couldn't have been a better combination for me of using my languages. I mean, I went out to Berlin um, within two days of the Berlin Wall falling down. And, you know, that is quite a remarkable um, feat for me and from any journalist, because of course, travel was much more difficult. We didn't have mobile phones, none of that. But there we were reporting, um, you know, on these major, major events. And I got the bug. I just kept on doing it. And, I, you know, we went all over Europe. We had a European program on Radio 4 called Europhile. And we were a team of a small team of journalists who spoke several languages, you know, even Luxembourgish um, and Italian and Spanish and all kinds of languages. And we went out all over Europe reporting and producing and making these documentaries every single week. So you were really able to get to the absolute heart of the story. I mean, those images of the Berlin Wall falling are just absolutely iconic. I mean, talk about the perfect amalgamation of your skills in right place, right time. And funnily, I was in a classroom, so I may well have heard you or listened to you because we listened to it because my German teacher obviously made us listen to all the news. And I was doing my sixth year studies, I think, at that point, which is the equivalent of A-level because I was in Scotland. And so I, I completely remember that footage of 
the wall coming down. I can't imagine what it must have been like to be part of that. It was it, it was so formative and you know unforgettable. And um, I think that I've, you know, I, I keep that in my DNA and I, I, it nourishes me because, of course, you know, from Germany, we then went to Romania and Albania and Bulgaria and all over. And we saw the most desperate, awful, but inspiring things mm. and met incredible people. And, you know, bringing us up to today and, of course, with Russia and Ukraine and, you know, many of my colleagues traveled there as well. I went to Russia myself. Um, for the BBC several times and you know we still we stay connected with those stories and often with with the people as well and mm -hmm. it's another indication of how incredibly important language learning is you know so much of the news reporting now anytime could not have been done without translators or interpreters um, so you know it's really it's a very very useful job as well as mm -hmm. all the other aspects of of language learning Mm, it's crucial. Now, I, I personally love teaching literature and film for A-level. I've always been a teacher who's been desperate to do that. Any opportunity, I, I love it. German, Spanish, I've done both. But there are students and teachers out there who would prefer to avoid literature. Now, obviously, we have to respect that. And there, there are obviously other things and translation and other skills. But what would you say to convince them of its value when you're studying languages to study literature or film? For me... Studying literature was the most important part of language learning. I obviously, you need, to, you need to learn the vocabulary and the grammar, and that is tough. It is very hard, but so are maths, so are sciences. It's never, you know, nobody ever pretends it's not difficult. But the only way you can ever immerse yourself in a language is by reading books in the language. And that, and that that word immersion again, which is so important in language learning, you can become part of the world of the writer, of the country the person is writing from or in. And of course, the actual language becomes ingrained in you in some way. And it, it just flows better. Um, it's the best thing, you know, I always used to take a book from the country I was in or going to whenever I traveled. Now, sometimes it would have to be in translation because I don't read all languages, but quite often I would just take books that I do read in the language of origin. And it every single time it helped, every single time. It's not mm -hmm. just the characters, it's the plots, it's the descriptions of locations. It's, it's mm -hmm. better than reading a travel guide. And the turn of phrase and the music of, as you said, the patterns of language. And I realise that picking one book is almost an impossible task I'm giving you. But if you had to choose, um, which work of literature and translation would you recommend for our listeners and, and why? Well, you know, it's impossible to choose one book. So I think it's a really terrible question. <laughs> pick, but... pick something recent, perhaps, that's really inspired you then that might inspire our listeners as well. Something you've come across. Well, I will choose um, one book, but I'll then follow it up with a couple of other books because I will never forget the impact of reading Thomas Mann's Magic Mountain. Now, I read that in German and I read it in translation. Um, and the translation was by, very, by Thomas Mann's very brilliant translator, Helen Tracy Lowe Porter. I read it at university and I'll never forget that feeling of 
total immersion in the culture, in the characters, in the sanatorium, um, in German culture. And it was it was magical itself. But I will mention uh, additional books like Heidi by Joanna Speary, which was my favourite book as a child, along with Alice in Wonderland. And then Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy, that was uh, translated by Louise and Aylmer Maud. An incredibly powerful book, but probably I'd never read again because it's so long. Mm. <laughs> and then, you know, in more recent times, um, I've, I read Stefan Zweig um, at, at university. I'm sure you did as well. But I also have read him more recently, and I'm editing a magazine of Austrian literature at the moment in English. So Zweig is one of my favorite rereads. Um, and from Italian, Elena Ferrante, um, mm. translated by Anne Goldstein. Sorry, there are so many, but even that is a small number. It's a snapshot. Really love, <laughs> yes. But they are, each of them, absolutely brilliant. And as you know, it's very important to name the translators. Yeah, definitely. And um, kind of on that theme, so through your work, you've interviewed and met many inspiring culture and literary figures. And I'm not going to ask you to pick one because it's impossible. But there, are there any kind of favourite nuggets of wisdom that stand out from, from your many interviews? Again, I mean, interviewing is my profession, so it really is difficult to choose one. But I interview because I love to find out about people and what drives them, you know, whether they're writers or artists or politicians or, um, you know, other journalists doing wonderful things. But I usually, I find that there are women who particularly inspire me because I think it's very important in our day and age to have inspirational women to look up to. And there are so many, um, you know, awful stories across the world of, um, you know, women in arranged marriages or, you know, domestic abuse and so on and so forth, women in prison. And that's why I turn primarily to Margaret Atwood. Now, Margaret Atwood is somebody I've been lucky enough to interview quite a few times but she is a fearless and brilliant woman she was fearless from the beginning I think from her early books um, and then of course when she wrote The Handmaid's Tale she became um, an international name because of what it told us about women and um, you know childbirth and women's bodies and the politicization of gender so I think she's a remarkable woman. She's in her 80s and she continues to write and to campaign. And I look up to her every single time I read something from her. I think she's she is really uh, continues to be my top favourite. But then alongside her, there are other women who are also inspired, coincidentally, by Margaret Atwood, like Elif Shafak, the Turkish writer, um, and Olga Tokarczuk, the Polish writer who won the Nobel Prize for Literature. In their own countries, they are doing wonderful things to help and support women and to draw attention to the problems that women particularly mm -hmm. face around the world. I love the Turkish writer you mentioned. I've read, I read her book recently. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Um, and I think we've kind of probably touched on this already, really, but what do you think is the best way to encourage young people to continue with their language studies at school? Well, just a few more tips, because it is hard, 
we agree that it is hard, but it's not uniquely hard. Um, you have got to have an ear for languages, but you can develop that. It's a muscle that you can train. And um, you know, if you want to be that kind of sports person, then you know, train those muscles. If you love it, do it. I think it's really hard if you are working alone with languages. I think it's very important to join groups and to you know try to try to speak. You know, have a have a um, you know basic your language learning is at a particular age. Just keep talking. Listen to other speakers, bring other speakers into schools, go and visit, um, you know, go and visit people who speak languages, who can tell you more about all the jobs connected to languages like, you know, journalism, spying, whatever, you know, dip diplomacy, international human rights. Um, there are so many. It is, you know, there's a huge world out there. And I think the majority of people don't even realise how many different things they can do. You know, watch TV, read books, travel if you can. The whole you know, school trip, which has suffered terribly as a result of the pandemic and all the other health and safety measures that need to be taken you know, for schools, they are priceless, I think, you know, for getting, getting young people out there and meeting people from other cultures. Yeah, trips, 100%, because I had an amazing German teacher who took us to Germany for two weeks. I don't think that would ever happen now. It's hard enough to arrange an exchange for a week, but I've spent my whole career arranging trips abroad. And that's when the penny drops off, and that's the magic. And it's the connections. It's what you're saying. And there's no excuse now because the kids can WhatsApp each other before they go. It's not this sense of writing a letter and you turn up in that terror of never having met, met your exchange partner. Um, and Netflix has been really transformational. I mean, most of my best linguists in the sixth form know about all kinds of series in Spanish that I've never even heard of. And it really doesn't matter what they watch. I don't care. They can watch any series as long as they watch it in the original language and put the subtitles in the original language. I, you know, or English, I don't care, but I feel like they're listening to the, the sounds and they're doing something that's enjoyable and it's part of their daily life. And so, yeah, I always say to students, Netflix is your friend. It will bring and, the language to you. And of course, there's Walter Presents, um, which is a dedicated uh, channel to foreign language productions from all over the world. It's quite remarkable. And if you just got the subtitles and you can listen to the language anyway, and of course, listening to music, um, you know, lyrics in foreign languages, there are so many different ways you can do it. But don't give up because this country needs you. <laughs> that is wonderful advice. I didn't know about Walter Presents, so I'm going to definitely check that out. We're coming sort of to, to the end of our interview now. And I know that as well as some really heartwarming moments abroad, I've had many, many funny things have happened to me. And, and some of my favourite stories of living abroad are just these comedy moments that can only happen with either language language translation errors or just people you've met that you would never have met have you got any kind of standout funny memories of, of living in another country well um they're always connected with food because part of part of travel for me a huge part of travel for me is eating and drinking the the food from the countries i visit which i put very high on my list of um helping me to learn languages better but um, I always made very, very basic errors. I remember I'm, I'm, I'm basically vegetarian, but I um, was in France once and I ordered pâté de roquefort. And you're laughing, you know what, what happened. So this pâté arrived um, and it was meat pâté from the roquefort region as opposed to 
pate made of roquefort cheese, pate a roquefort, which it should have been if I had wanted, if I had wanted to eat it. So I didn't get any cheese pate. I thought the French were being a bit ambitious uh, making cheese pate, but it was in fact meat pate. So I mean, all kinds of things like that, really. Um, and it's always connected with food. I've really you know, I've got too many mistakes, if you like, to to count, and I, I couldn't possibly ruin my reputation by telling you any any more than that, I don't think. <laughs> my one's more embarrassing than that. I tried to explain to a German friend this amazing recipe with quark to go in a baked potato, and I was banging on about persil, and you put in the zalts and the pfeffer in the persil, and she's going, you can't, that can't be what you mean. I'm like, no, no, it really isn't. It was petersili. So I was telling her to put persil washing powder in her, oh. in her quark <laughs> instead of parsley. So that's probably even more embarrassing. But, you know, I, I always tell that story to my learners because it's important to see that you have to be able to make fun of yourself learning a language. You have to be able to laugh at yourself and be very humble because you will make mistakes, but people will love you for trying and for having a go. And which brings you to humour, of course. You know, as soon as you can start making jokes, um, or, or even understanding them in other languages, then you know you've arrived, you know, and it's really, it's just, it's wonderful, you know, and uh, you know probably that Rory Bremner, the great Rory Bremner is, is a German linguist, and there are so many linguists in the, who we don't realise are linguists, and we should listen to them more, but, you know, he's one of the funniest men alive, and he's quite funny, and of course Eddie Izzard, yes. he's a fluent French speaker, and so on, yeah, these are these are great comedians and they actually can perform in other languages too. And I'm very impressed by that. That is very impressive. I think dreaming and thinking in the language is one thing, but telling jokes, I always think in a pub in Spain is really, really hard when everyone's talking a million miles an hour very loudly and the tapas are flying around and you're trying to understand the jokes. And, and I think if, like you say, if you can, you think, right, I've really made it now. Yeah. <laughs> and if you can tell one yourself, even better. <laughs> Definitely. And my final question, we've mentioned Cornish, but, and you already, I'm embarrassed to ask you this when you already speak so many languages fluently, but if there was a language, a dream language that you could learn, which, which one would you pick? I'm not going to add another language to my, um, to my languages simply because I always want to speak the languages I have learned better. I always want to improve. And, and of course, you know, even when you think you're fluent, they do atrophy because they have to be refreshed all the time. And I think one of the additional um, problems of the pandemic was that we weren't meeting up and speaking our languages and we weren't traveling. And I actually found as soon as I started traveling to Italy or Germany, um, France, you know, after, after the lockdowns lifted, I was actually quite rusty. And it, it still feels to me as though I've not quite got back to the level I was at before the pandemic, because I genuinely spoke languages nearly every day. And, and now we're sort of behind Zooms and, you know, we're doing all these other things, you know, with technology and so on. We must never, ever forget that we need to be there. We need to be with people in order to speak languages. And so, yeah, I'm going to stick with French, German and Italian and improve them, hopefully. It's a good plan. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a very, it's a very good plan. It is a lifelong process, isn't it? It definitely is. Thank you so much, Rosie. It's been such a joy to talk to you. And I know that you're going to inspire so many language teachers out there and hopefully students as well who can see, you know, the joy that what languages can bring to your life and, and they will be very inspired. You're also very inspiring, Fiona. So I hope they listen to you as well in these wonderful podcasts. Thank you so much for asking me. Thank you very much.
I am sure Rosie has inspired you and underlined the importance of encouraging our young linguists of the future to keep going with their language learning. Thank you for listening and look out for the next episode of Speaking Your Language soon. Auf Wiedersehen!